School's out for summer, and Redbox has video games to keep you entertained. There are more than 40,000 locations nationwide, so rent and return anywhere, and you'll get a free one-night game rental from Redbox when you use the promo code SNELL2 at checkout. Swing by a box in your neighborhood, or if you want to make sure the game is there when you arrive, reserve it online at redbox.com games. This offer is valid through July the 8th, so hurry. Subject to additional terms, charges apply for additional nights, a payment card is required. Getting into video games has never been so easy. Redbox, use code SNELL2 for a free one-night game rental. The Incomparable, number 358, June 2017. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. You know, once a year, we like to take sort of the short list of books that have been given awards or award nominations, and we like to read them and tell you our opinions. It's a nice way where the nice people who run awards have uh, constructed reading lists for us. This year, we took the Hugo Award nominees for Best Novel and the Nebula Award nominees for Best Novel in science fiction and fantasy, and we kind of stuck them together. And as a result, we ended up with a list of eight books to read, and quite frankly, you will never find an episode of The Incomparable with a larger required time investment for its panelists. <laughs> and, and yet, because, because I didn't read eight books, I read seven and a half books, and therein lies the story. Um, but I, I found three people up to the challenge. You will not be surprised at who they are. They are exactly who you think. They are the three people who would take the assignment to read eight books. And they are Aline Sims. Hello. Hello, Hugo plus Nebula. It's like two great tastes that taste great together. Yeah, we could have done an episode where it's only the ones who got nominated for both. That would have been a much smaller reading list, but we didn't. We added them together and came up with eight. How many of them did you read? I read sixth and one six and one tenth. Okay, that's that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That gives you a score of seventy six percent. That's not bad. Seventy six percent of the homework. Yeah. Eric yep. Ensign is here. Hello, hello. I'm I'm quickly doing the math to figure out how many <laughs> you have to read. do. It wasn't it wasn't all of them. I will I will say okay. that. Okay. Well, I guess we'll I find out on, as we go. I gave up on more than one. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it happens. It happens Ooh. with books. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I believe eight for eight on the book department here is of course Scott McNulty. Hi, Scott. Hello. I'm just waiting for next year when we add the Locus Award finalists because they the Locus and they have they break out science fiction and fantasy. So that would, would add us. to this year. Oh it would gosh. add like 17 books. Can't. Oh my gosh, we can't. That's too many awards. I, I too many awards. I don't know. There was that moment several months ago where where it was like, do we add the Hu the Hugo nominees mm -hmm. or do we just do the podcast now? And I don't know. I made the wrong decision. I said, no, let's just add the Hugo nominees. No, you made the right decision. I'll, I'll yeah. talk okay. about why when we All get right. there. Okay, Ooh. good. Yeah, I read six and a half. I, fin I finally finished the math. <laughs> Late breaking news. All right, that's good. I'm, <laughs> I'm better at books than I am at numbers. <laughs> I have selected these eight books, and I placed them into random.org <laughs> and came up with a list of, of the books. So I guess that's the best way to go through this is we're going to go through them one by one. Now I should explain to people up front who are saying, but Jason, I haven't read eight books. How can I listen to this episode unless I've read all eight books? And the answer is, well, good news. We're going to try because we are very conscientious podcasters. We're going to try to talk about the books in a way that will not really spoil your enjoyment of them. And also related, we have been working on this project for so long 
that I don't know if we remember very much that could spoil these books for you. So consider this a really fun reading list where we take eight books that are on science fiction and fantasy's novel shortlist and kind of rank them ourselves so you get some idea of where to start from from a list of eight eight books that somebody somewhere thought were were uh, were good. Sound about right? Or we tell you if we remember that if you remember liking them or not liking them. <laughs> oh, I remember my feelings about these books clearly. Mm-hmm. Mm. Here, here. What happens in Me them? Too. Hey, less so. Maybe a welcome bit to less. my life, Jason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You wait long <laughs> enough, and this is what you get. I, I'm I'm calling up now my list of the Nebula Awards and the Hugo Awards so I can explain like which Ooh. book got nominated for which because that is not mm-hmm. something that I remember. I, I also have no, those lists. I am looking at, at I'm looking at the list and thinking, which list do I think is the better list? The oh, Hugo Award list or the Nebula list? You know, there's overlap, right? So I'll say this. I gave up on one of each. Oh, well, that's very democratic of you. Now, get, yes. I, I'm not going to spring on this on you at the end like I did um, last year, but I'm just going to say I am going to ask you to rank them at the end. No. Oh, geez. What? So, so think about that. That allows you us to create a, a common list. No, I couldn't have told you. We've only been working on this podcast for four months. <laughs> <laughs> I would have forgotten to do it. So. We're going to start randomly where, with uh, a Hugo nominee that is not a Nebula nominee. And the Nebula Awards already have Ooh. been given out, but the Hugo Awards have That's not right. yet been given out. Uh, this is a Hugo nominee. It is Death's End, the third Ooh. book in the trilogy by Chishin Lu. This one, like the first, which won the Hugo Award a couple years ago, uh, mm-hmm. translated by Ken Liu. And uh, who, who, who read this? Uh, Scott read it, I obviously. Did. I read it, of course. <laughs> I did not read it. I read a few pages. Okay. Ooh. Now, Erica, yeah. did you read the first two or did you just... I read the first book and I thought it was a good book, but it didn't do a lot for me entertainment wise. So I never went on and read the second book. And then Mm. when I realized this was the third book and it was nominated for an award, I thought, okay, I'm going to read like the first chapter and see if that grabs me enough or if I'm confused enough to go back and read the second book. And that did not happen. And I really wasn't grabbed by the first first uh, chapter. So I just decided, you know what? I, I st- And as of the time of recording, I still haven't finished all of the rest of my Hugo reading. I still have the novelettes and short stories and related yeah. works and all that stuff. So I was like, nope, maybe I'll come back to it if I have time. But that's not looking likely. All right. So, Scott, mm. it's, it's you and mm. me for this one, I suppose. Um, the you and me against the world. The, Jason. And talk about de- dependencies when you're doing this podcast where we had to read eight books. Is that I had to read nine books because I had to read the second book in the series <laughs> that I hadn't read, which I did. And then Excellent. I, which is which is the Dark Forest, and then I moved on yes. to Death's End, which the Dark Forest is based around this striking image of you know you're in a dark forest, you have a flashlight or a lantern, and your light that beam of light identifies you f- to all of the kind of dangerous creatures that are in the forest yes. uh, that will come and attack you. And that is kind of the central uh, thesis of, of that book and this book, really, because the that's kind of the, the, the doomsday device. Yeah, but the idea there is that when you shine the flashlight in the dark forest, one of two things will happen. You will either see something that you need to kill before it kills you. Or mm-hmm. somebody who's trying to kill you will see your light and kill you. And kill you. Those are your only options. The universe is not a friendly place in these books. No, not not at all. And and uh, the, so so Death's End. 
this is what I this is this is my my take on this one. It is so you really do need to I think read the other two books in the series. The, this is such a complex mm-hmm. and weird sort of future history at this point of what happens after Earth makes contact with uh, with a- space aliens and they learn about the gr- the larger issue of of uh, galactic culture and how it's sort of kill or be killed. Um, so so there's a lot you have to go through to get to. I liked all three of these books. This one. I felt similar feelings to uh, to the three body problem and Dark Forest, where I started out thinking when I read the three body po- problem, um, this is very strange, and I'm not sure that this this writer is going to really be able to pay off what I'm seeing here. But it's fascinating to read it at the very least because it's a, this window into Chinese science fiction that I've never seen before. And by the end, and we talked about it a couple years ago, by the end I thought, oh no, he actually did pay off everything that he was setting up. And this is really interesting. And I still don't really know whether how much of this is my interest as an American reading Chinese science fiction and how much of it is that this writer is just incredibly inventive. I can now report back two years later and say, it is not just that I am an American. This writer is incredibly impossibly inventive there are so many bizarre and fascinating ideas especially in death's end about uh, i mean about so many different things about future cultural extrapolations about how uh spaceships on long voyages at relativistic speeds might behave there's just like every chapter there's another completely wild idea that spins out of it and the scope couldn't be bigger the scope is essentially the entire universe the entire time and space wise um and other universes potentially at one point uh it's pretty it's pretty amazing the uh, what he what the writer shoots for here and i would say i would say hits i mean if you want to read a book that is completely bananas, <laughs> like completely bananas <laughs> with ideas, and you can, and they just they keep topping one another. I gotta say, Death's End is the book for you, and this whole trilogy <laughs> is kind of like that. So anyway, in the end, you know, will, did I did I like warm to it emotionally? No, not really. The characters kind of are kind of peculiar, and they come and go because of the time scales. But boy, the ideas are, and and just the the degree of difficulty and the and just never stopping and coming to the constant one-upsmanship on himself in these books just blew me away so that's that's my that's my take on death end scott what's your what's your take on it well i i completely agree i think that this is and i think i said this uh about the three body problem when we talked about it a couple years ago for me it felt like kind of a throwback to uh the golden age of science fiction only with better writing uh skill in that you know these as you said jason these books are all about ideas and the characters are there but they are i wouldn't say barely painted they're a little more fleshed out than you would get in like a a 50s or a 60s science fiction novel totally uh but they are not up to par with other kind of science fiction modern science fiction novels uh because that's not the point of this right this is galaxy spanning uh, dimension spanning, uh, crazy stuff happens. Pe- one person has to decide if they're going to use, you know, the kind of the doomsday device. And then the planet has to decide how they're, if they're going to lower the speed of light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's, it's got some crazy things in it. It's 
I, I found it fascinating and uh, I really enjoyed it. So I would say now I don't know if this was I do not recommend anyone start on the third book. No. So if you are not interested in reading a trilogy, don't read these books because it is a trilogy. It doesn't make any sense. Um, certainly start with the first one. If you don't like the first one, if that doesn't one doesn't grab you, you're not going to like either of the two that follow it so you could just stop after that but i really liked it they're all self-contained in a sense that that um if you finish the first book and you don't want to go on it's not like it ends in a cliffhanger like it has an ending right and the second book has an ending but you're not going to read the third book and you're not going to understand about these you know these these people and the various roles of the wall breakers and the sword bringers and all of these kind of ideas mm-hmm. and again the idea is the idea of the wall breaker which is people who are like supposed to solve the problems that's in the second book for the most part solve the problems of earth being attacked by these aliens without anybody understanding what they're doing and how that kind of fails or does it succeed and oh. and then the and then the, the you're right the the doomsday thing and then you end up in that like well here are a few solutions that could potentially work and he goes into all of them like like lo- we we could lower the speed of light <laughs> That's a thing we could do, or we could, um, or we could create this uh, multi-dimensional thing. There's a whole extended riff about <laughs> three-dimensional beings going into a four-dimensional space. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, you the, the questions about like like string theory. Are there eleven were, eleven dimensions, and were there originally more dimensions in our universe? Just like it, just the 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 imagination is just mind-boggling, and I <laughs> that's what I enjoyed about it. You're right. It's sort of like what would it be a modern take on something like. Um, like foundation in the sense of the scope, but it's a mm-hmm. much more modern, grounded in our understandings of physics and the universe, and with characters who are not just cardboard cutouts, even though they're not kind of the point of the of the story. Exactly, and it, and beautifully written uh, now, or, or at least beautifully translated. I assume beautifully yeah. written, but I couldn't read it. I obviously don't read. Chi- well, I shouldn't say obviously. I don't read Chinese, so I did not read it in its original. Um, but. Uh, I think that uh, Ken Liu, right? He yeah. uh, translated this beautifully. Translated. Uh, he's a beautiful. He he writes beautifully, and he translates very well. And he's a beautiful man. Uh, well, I assume, <laughs> both on the inside and the outside. I, let's just Aww. go with that. No. Yeah, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> That's very sweet. So, if I had to give a one word review of Death's End again, it would be bananas. <laughs> just <laughs> pushes it to the. I, I kept telling. Lauren, as I would, I would read on. I was like, you know, when I said that this book was crazy, like it is super bananas. It is like beyond. Like every time I would go further, be like, there's more. It gets wilder. It's amazing. So, uh, so yeah, it is a yes. very particular kind of thing. But if you're looking for imaginative mm-hmm. uh, concepts, boy, there are buckets of them. Buckets. Yes, and I and I sometimes get cranky with the books that are nominated for the Hugos, or the, well, not less so with the Nebula because I feel like the Nebula is more fantasy and science fiction. In my mind, at least, the Hugo is always a science fiction award. That is not probably true, but in my mind, it is. <laughs> right. And so, when I read a non-science fictiony book that is nominated for the Nebula, I get slightly cranky. Uh, but this one is totally science fiction through and through. You can't mistake it for anything else. Uh, so, if you're looking for some good old-fashioned modern. Chinese <laughs> science fiction. Yeah, as you do. <laughs> Check it out. Death End. Death End, yeah. All right. We will move on to our second selection, randomly picked for us to talk about, which is a Nebula nominee and not a Hugo nominee. And it's Everfair by Nisi Shal. <laughs> this is a book about colonialism in Africa, in the Belgian Congo. It is an alt history and it is steampunk. 
So there's mm-hmm. a lot going on in Everfair. Who read Everfair here? I think we all did. No, we did not. <laughs> Ooh. It's, the, it's the two ones it's that one. I did. Yeah. All right, Erica. I, I, read, I read a good deal more of Everfair than I did of Death's End. Um, and, and really, that's just not because Death's End wasn't good, just because Death End, Death's End was the third in a series. I, I think I got to almost a third of the way into Everfair, which in the third is like kind of what I make myself do unless it's a sequel. And just... I mean, steampunk, first of all, that's not for me. I, I don't like steampunk. <laughs> I don't like alternative history books terribly. And it's not a good it sign. Was, yeah, this this book is just, it's it was, I, it's not that it wasn't well written. It's just it was not written for me. So um, I, th- while there are parts of it that I was a little bit curious about, nothing was curious enough to keep me, to keep me going. All right. Well, Aline read it. Scott and I read it. I did. Well, Aline, mm-hmm. uh, what did you think of Everfair? I I have mixed feelings about Everfair. So it it has a sentimental place in my heart. Uh Nisi Shaw was the first uh first ever guest on my newest podcast. So I like Yay Nisi and it's her first novel and she had 11 point of view characters which I think is an amazing thing to pull off. I'm um, just keeping all of those storylines straight. Um I am very much a character-driven reader, though. I think I say that on every book club episode. So I like deep dives into characters. I like understanding why they do things. And I think because there are 11 point-of-view characters, that's a little difficult to do um, with this book. Um, that's another reason I stopped early as well, because I'm, I'm same as you. Yeah, <laughs> I like and I, I think the steampunk stuff was cool it wasn't heavy-handed i mean it, there are definitely some pivotal plot points that that uh hinge on it but i didn't think it was too heavy-handed but in the end i really wanted to know the characters better because i think there were a lot of neat neat stories that could be told if this were uh, a, a bigger book or serialized in some way uh but I'm, I, I mean i'm glad i read it you know, you, you, you have to be right that, that the steampunk was not too heavy handed because I got a third of the way through the book and there still was no steampunk. Like, yeah, it was just it was still it was still alternate history. And I was like, OK, yeah. I haven't gotten to the, the fantasy or the science fiction yet. I'm I'm out. The for you, it's uh, I would say the, the one of the true tests of steampunk is also a classic question we've been asking on this podcast since episode one, which is, are there zeppelins? And the answer mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, there are zeppelins in Everfair. It's all about the airships as they move around in uh, in Africa. Um Scott, this book reminded me a little bit of Grace of Kings, which we talked about last year, which I didn't mm-hmm. particularly like, but it's in the sense that uh, and, and Aline, I think this goes to your point about the characters, because um, you're right, there are some very interesting characters in this book, but it kind of wants to be a history book in the sense that the scale is so wide you know that that you it wants to tell this whole story of what happens in this part of Africa to the point where it zooms out so far I feel like none of the characters can really make a mark and that a lot mm-hmm. of times I felt like right when I wanted to have the story progress and the characters progress instead it was just sort of let's shift to another point of view there's a lot I have to cover here it's a really big world I want to tell you about and that that turned me off from it to be honest I read the whole thing and there was a moment about halfway through where I shared with you all in the slack room of 
was like I was really kind of getting into it because I kind of had accepted that it was at that at widescreen level and I kind of was enjoying it that for a while. But, you know, it just kept going at that level. And then after a while, I got tired of it. So um, it is that kind of book, though, where it's like, yeah, it is an all history and it's got a lot of characters and it's got Zeppelins and some other kind of steampunky trappings around it. But it's also just, you know, it, it, it's a big picture book that just doesn't have room, I think, for spending a lot of time with these characters because it's just got to yeah. keep moving. Scott, what do you think of it? Uh, well, I really like the opening. As I recall, she describes someone riding a bicycle, uh, which I thought was interesting because I was expecting this steampunk adventure. And she goes into loving detail about this bicycle and uh, kind of describes it in a way that you think, oh, this is some kind of fantastic contraption until you realize, no, it's a bicycle, yeah. uh, which I liked. Uh, and that was about the only thing I liked in the book, uh, which is unfortunate because I was just completely bored by this book. I wanted – I didn't feel like anything really happened. I didn't care too much about the characters and I just wanted it to be over. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, I, I will say I, it was well written. It was well written. I thought she's a skillful writer. Absolutely. I just was not – it didn't connect with me. So I just did not feel interested or engaged at all, uh, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, it didn't didn't work for me. We just did just mention how what what a beautiful writer Ken Liu is, and yet I had the same criticism of Grace of Kings last year is that it didn't connect mm-hmm. with me for the for a lot of the same reasons. It was really, and it doesn't mean the writing wasn't beautiful. There are some there are some books in this list that I I don't like the writing of. This is not one of them. It just <laughs> I, I felt like for what it was, it's just not not my cup of tea to have this kind of zoom back perspective and that that's how i kept thinking about it is like this this is a much more effective as a a history of this place in the world than it is like what we expect from i think most novels which is closer in views of the characters and following their stories and Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't it doesn't offer as much of that yeah. And I have a lot, I think, higher tolerance for that zoomed out view when the history is of a totally made up place. Like Grace of Kings wasn't my favorite of last year's books, but I did read the whole thing and enjoyed it enough. Whereas this I just didn't get through because this is an alternative history of a real place. I don't know. <laughs> to me, that's just less exciting. I like the fact that this this book. So one of the things I really like about this book is that it is about colonialism. It is a criticism of colonialism. It is mm-hmm. a what if about the Belgian Congo where um, some other people come to Africa and they basically like liberate the Belgian Congo uh, over time from King Leopold of Belgium. Um, um, and that's interesting. Uh, I think it's interesting as a bit of social commentary. Um, I think there's a very interesting pivot in the middle where these people who are from England and America and other parts of the world who are kind of motivating this founding, um, there's a moment where, and and they kind of um, almost co-opt or they think they're co-opting some local power people in order to give more um, to make alliances and also to make their this this country of Everfair a little more legitimate. And there is a moment where the guy who's basically the king at that point of Everfair says, I want all of these foreigners out. And that's an interesting thing, which is like, yeah, okay, you're nice people from America and England and all that, but you're still outsiders who are trying to take over Africa. And I thought that was a really interesting moment. Uh, where you're like, but oh, but they're good. And it's like, yeah, they are good, but they're also not Africans who are, and they're trying to run the country. 
um, that I, I like. There's a lot that was really interesting, and not just uh, they're from America. I, I mentioned America and from Great Britain, but there's other parts of Europe and even Asia who, who are people who come to Everfair and are part of the kind of founding of this of this country. So I like that aspect of it. Again, it was just sort of not enough. It was enough to get get me to read the whole thing, but not enough to really make it uh, something that I, I I deeply enjoyed. Let me take a break. Tell you about one of our sponsors this week. It's Blue Apron. Blue Apron is a meal delivery service that makes home cooking easy and accessible by delivering seasonal recipes with step-by-step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients right to your door for less than $10 per meal. You get to customize your recipes based on your preferences and select a delivery option that is right for you. What day do you want to get it? You go to their website and see the meals that are going to be uh, produced for you in a future week. If you look at one, you're like, this isn't for me. You pick a different one. And there's no weekly commitment at all. So if none of the recipes look good, you just skip that week. They don't charge you and you move on to the next week. I've been getting Blue Apron for a couple of years. We don't skip very often, but occasionally we do. And I like the freedom to do that if our schedules don't line up with Blue Apron or our tastes don't. But in general, we're able to pick two meals a week for my family that we like. And we have liked almost everything we've gotten from Blue Apron. The fresh ingredients are great. Here are some examples from the June menu. Spiced zucchini enchiladas with creamy lime and tomato rice. We had that. That was really good. And peach honey glazed chicken with mashed sweet potatoes, collard greens, and Thai basil. Can't tell you how our menu has been changed by Blue Apron. Not only do we get these two great meals every week, but you keep the recipe cards. We've gone back and replayed recipes from Blue Apron. So it's totally changed our menu repertoire over the over the last couple of years because now we'll have the two Blue Apron meals and we'll select favorites, go to the store, buy those ingredients and make those for other meals. So much better. We're eating so much better, so much more diversely than we ever did before. Check out this week's Blue Apron menu and you can get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Snell. You will love how good it feels and tastes to make these meals yourself from scratch in your home. They are so tasty. The ingredients are fresh. Blueapron.com slash Snell. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. We're going to move on to number three. Hey, this means it's going to be something I read all of, right? <laughs> Woo-hoo! So we've already blown through Erica's that she... So it's now implied that Scott and Erica and I have read the remaining six. Mm-hmm. Only mm. Aline has some... Do you have some, you have some mystery <laughs> books out here, Aline? I have one that I've read 15% of. Okay. Or something like that. Was that the one that you were trying to get to right at the end? Yes. Okay. Well, that's the last one. So don't worry about it. So we're all good. All right. It's going to be a good run (laughs) here now, everybody. Smooth sailing. So number three is A Closed and Common Orbit by Becky Chambers. This Ah! is the sequel (laughs) to The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Which I read specifically for this. So you read the you read the middle um, mm-hmm. Shishin Lu book, and I read the middle Becky Chambers book. Um, and I had the long way to a small angry planet recommended to me at some point, and I read it, and I enjoyed it. Although I told a lot of people that um, you need to sort of read it like not as a novel, but as a series of episodes of almost like a science fiction TV series, because it was a very episodic thing about a crew of people on a mission on a spaceship and. And uh, this is a sequel, but it is a sequel about one of the sort of characters from the first book. And so it's set in the same universe, but it really, first off, I don't think it actually depends on you having read the first book. I think you could have, I think you could have done it completely without, although it's kind of fun that it's a continuation. You really didn't need to. Um, And it's a novel. It's like properly a novel, not a series of episodes. A, about a uh, about a character who uh, 
is basically an artificial intelligence in a robot body that looks human who uh and this is illegal and she is trying to uh figure out what her place is in the universe with a couple of people who know who she, know who she is and are trying to um allow her to figure out who she is and live her life and she learns things about herself and she makes friends and gets into some trouble along the way. And that's, that's what uh closing comet orbit is about. Um, and I, I will say just to kick off the conversation that, that I went into it, not quite sure what I was going to get. And I kind of expected I would get more of the same of the previous book. And mm-hmm. I was so pleased to discover that uh, even though I like that book, it's not like that book at all. It's way better, way better written, more entertaining, I thought it was I thought it was really good and you know I guess my expectations were kind of low cuz the last book was so weird even though I, I I felt nice things about it and this one I just I really liked it I thought it was a really nice story about interesting characters in an interesting setting and it it, it totally worked for me Erica it's a book you read tell us about it <laughs> I loved this book so hard. And mm-hmm. and I, like you, I enjoyed that first book quite a lot. I think I maybe even liked that first book more than you did because I didn't go in. Nobody told me that about it. And it didn't even occur to me that it wasn't a normal novel. Now that you say that, sure. Sure, you're right. It was very sort of like mini episodic. But I just got to know those characters so well that when I went into this this second book, which I think calling it a sequel is generous because you're right. It just It's like another book that happens to take place in the same universe that has one barely crossover character and and it was it was different and then I got to know this character and one of the ways that I sort of judge books is how much I want to go back to them when I'm forced to put them down and (laughs) this book I found myself every time I was forced to put it down I I just could not wait to the next time that I would get a chance to pick it up and read it and when it was done I found myself reaching for my kindle going like oh yeah I get to read more no, it's yep. over. <laughs> it was like I felt I had really gotten to know this character talking about characters like Aline and I tend to like. Um, <laughs> I, if you remember uh, one of the previous book club episodes or maybe several when we were talking about uh, Anne Leckie's series, I really liked the third book because it was the one that I think dealt maybe the most with the sort of AI politics and the the interaction of AI with each other. And this book is is an AI learning to come to terms with a body and the society in, in which she is, is living. And that kind of thing is just right in my sci-fi sweet spot. And I thought that the writing, you're right, Jason, was, was really good and I think superior to the first book. The thing that kept striking me was every time this main character would refer to what I think of as her body. She never said, you know, I, I walk across the room. She would say, I make the kit, because that's what they refer to as the body kit. I make the kit walk across the room. Yeah. I lift the kit's right hand up and put it on the something. And every time that jerked me out of my complacency and was like, right, that is what this this person, this character is dealing with, is is not identifying with the, the, the body in which she's placed. And it was just... Oh, so fascinating. I love this book. And I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to ruin it. But if, if that sounds like the kind of thing you're interested in, this is a great book for you, except that you will be sad when you come to the end of it like I was because it's just not long enough and I want more. <laughs> My big criticism of this book is that it ended. That's, that's yes. pretty good. <laughs> yep. That's pretty good. Pro's good book. Cons has an ending not infinite in length. 
Uh, <laughs> Aline, you, you, there were, there's a lot of agreeing I heard there. Yeah, yeah, the same. I loved the first book. I drank the first book. Like, it just, yep, yep. <laughs> like, I, I, I loved it so much. And I was fortunate slash unfortunate enough that I read, I finished the first book, like, the day a closed in common orbit came out or like a week before, like it was a really short period of time. And so I got this really cool book about a really diverse cast of characters. Um, and then I go to this other, you know, the, the follow up, which is completely different. But I loved them both so, so very much. And I can't wait to get back to this universe. I'm a, uh, I'm sad. I'm sad there are no more. Like Erica, I wished that it was longer. I I don't know. Like I remember marveling after after I read the first book, uh at all of the different characters and and how different like there's there's a lizard race and there's a I don't know like it I don't I think of it as a centipede kind of caterpillary race and there's a it's just so cool and it's so adventurous and it's and humans aren't at the top of the food yeah, chain yeah and the writing is is I don't even know the writing is so good that I don't notice the writing. I don't know if that makes sense. Like <laughs> I don't have to puzzle over sentences or try to figure out what something means. It was a really easy, a really easy universe for in book for me to slip in and out of, which is a challenge I had with a lot of these. Is it was just like so <laughs> much work to get into them. I just love them. I love them so much. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for more by, by, by Becky Chambers. I can't wait. I have a question for you, Aline. When mm-hmm. I finished this book after reading both of them, I just I find myself wanting not just more stories about these characters, but I just want more stories in this universe. I thought it was yes. a really well built world. Do you also feel like I don't even care if it's in the same you know quadrant of the galaxy? I just want more stories in this world. Yes, yeah, I agree. I would love to go back to that original crew and mm-hmm. you know check in with them and see how things are going. But if we never did, I think I would be okay with it. Like I just, it's it's a great universe. I think. Yeah, I agree. It's a it's a you know somebody who grew up with, like Star Wars or, or Star Trek or you know any any kind of science fiction mm-hmm. franchise where there's a universe and lots of different aliens and all that. It's got that feel. It is a it is a uh, a populated universe with lots of complexity, and we get to go in this book. There's like a kind of an alien rave slash fertility ritual that happens at one point uh there's a lot a lot of a lot of stuff like that in here that's that's enjoyable it's funny you mentioned the first book i like the first book but the first book i read it and thought this is kind of weirdly put together it's a first novel it felt like a first novel and so picking this one up i was like well well you know we'll see how the author becky chambers is uh, is doing with her second novel and the answer is uh she learned a lot from the first yeah. novel and is I just love I, it makes me very happy to to read a second novel from a, a a novelist and say oh this is appreciably better in terms of the visible skill than the first one like she is growing in a really good way as a as a novelist and that that was just like bonus on top of liking the book is seeing the progression there because it, you know this one felt much more self-assured Scott what do you think? Uh, well, I have good news. In exactly, well, almost exactly a year from now, 2018, the third book uh, will come out called Yay. Record of a Spaceboard View. Uh, I don't know what it's about because there's no, nothing tells me what it's about. Uh, I assume uh, space is involved somehow. Space. Yeah. <laughs> 
it's the final frontier i hear uh, i really i will just echo what everyone else said because i really like this book i thought it was uh delightful i enjoyed the first one uh, well, i thought the second one was even better uh i like that it told you know uh, uh interweaving stories um there were some moments that were were uh, rough to read because it was just a, a difficult situation for the characters that I liked. And I really like the fact that uh, both of the characters are dealing with similar kinds of not knowing, uh, dealing with identity, right? And uh, how they get through the world. Uh, and the main character has this this body kit that she's not used to. And she her inclination is that she wants to to, you know, basically be there. Uh, house AI because that's more comfortable for her. Uh, but she's tried to fight that and she has supportive friends. It's just, it's just a very good story. Yeah. And it is about, uh, figuring out who you are. And, uh, no matter what, you know, what society has sort of la- labeled you as or configured you as and deciding to live as your authentic self. And that if you want to spend some time in an enclosed space with your back against the wall, that's fine. That's if that's your thing. We all have days like that. You do yeah, you. Don't we all? Let's move on to book number four. Which is the intriguingly titled Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee. I hear books with Gambit in the title are big. <laughs> Thumbs up. Right. Big. This book is a sort of far future, big widescreen space opera about uh, different warring factions among humanity. There are sorts of different, various far future societies. There's a a character who's basically a soldier who's kind of paired with this legendary general who has been kind of, his brain is kind of kept as a download kind of on ice and is, is uploaded into the soldier's head in order for his wisdom to be brought to the troops. And then, so there's this sort of an internal dialogues between this character and the general um, and there's some big ideas like reminded me a little bit of death's end. There's some big ideas. There's this concept of, of calendars, but the ca- calendars aren't what we think of. It's more like, um, mm. manipulating the, the laws of physics by creating areas of space where the laws of physics somewhat differ. They've got this idea of like casting almost like spells, but you get the impression that it's actually based on some sort of. Um, mind-bending technology that, again, involves the manipulation of the universe. So there's this kind of wild, unbelievable things that these these weapons can do, but you get the sense, at least, the writer gives you the sense that there are some uh, underpinnings of science that are causing them to happen. And so it's like big screen, spaceships, giant battles, weird bases, um, lots of concepts that are that are complex and strange. And that's uh, that's Nine Fox Gambit. Um, Scott, what did you think of this one? Well, I think that if you tried to genetically engineer a book that would appeal to me, you might end up with Nine Fox Gambit. <laughs> uh, because I really, and I've said this, I think, on countless podcasts where other people have disagreed with me strenuously, uh, <laughs> I enjoy reading books where for maybe 80% of the book, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, uh, that was this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which I think is a good thing if it's done skillfully. And I feel like uh, this is an example of that. Uh, we're kind of thrown in to all of this, like, weird factions, these weapons, things are turning into crystal. Uh, the calendar is important for some reason, but we don't really understand why. There's calendrical rot and heretics. Yes. And, 
there's a general in this woman's head and is she a woman is she not a woman i don't know uh does this person actually exist yes uh how does it end who do- well i do know how it ends because i read the second book and it reminded me of how it ends which is the only reason yeah, why sure. i remember anything <laughs> about this book uh but i really really like this book uh although i will as with almost every book that i really really like there's a little caveat that i don't think it's for everyone <laughs> <laughs> and I recognize that it is a very particular kind of book. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair. It, it is one of those books that, like you said, it throws you in the deep end. And there's a, and on it's that is a great thing in some ways for science fiction because it is showing you a society that is incredibly imaginative, and you have to figure out sort of what's going on. And over time, you can uh, hopefully do it. If if, but you also risk just turning a reader off entirely by making yes. it because the degree of difficulty can be quite high. Um, Erica, what'd you think yeah, of this you one? Oh, go ahead, Scott. And I was, if you don't buy in after the first few chapters, it's just like, Oh, why am I reading this? Because it makes no sense and I don't care. Yeah. Buying into nonsense <laughs> at that point. Like why? Exactly. Erica, what'd you think of this? Well, I have been known in the past to disagree heartily with, <laughs> with Scott for, for the reasons that he, he outlined. Uh, and I will say that, I would not want every book that I read or even very many books that I read to be that kind of book where you just have no idea what's happening and you have to puzzle it out. But I do like that from time to time if it is done, as you said, Scott, skillfully and well. And I felt like this book did that. It's it's so rare that I find one that actually appeals to me in that way. But uh, but my sort of do I want to pick it up or put it down test, I found myself wanting to come back to this precisely because I didn't know what was happening. I wanted to be like, I need to find out more about this. It was like, like when you're taking a walk in the woods and you're like, I just want to find out what's around that next corner. And that is how I felt reading most of this book. If And, and the stuff that you described, Jason, where you're kind of talking about it, if it had just been that, I don't think I would have held on um, as long as I did and maybe not even finished the book. But but Scott, you mentioned that there's a general in this this person's, this woman's head. And that part of the story was really sort of the, the hook that dragged me in. Um, it was, you have all of this amazing, somewhat difficult to understand calendrical stuff and space battles and that kind of thing. But then you, on the other hand, I felt like it was really well balanced by this very personal story. Yeah. This, <laughs> this, 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 almost failed i can't remember what her what her rank was was she a captain or something like that um and and she comes up with a a, an idea and is is sort of she's promoted maybe before she would have been or maybe she wouldn't have been at all and and in order to to put her plans into gear she's got this this ancient general that she's working with that is somehow in her head and somehow not I don't know it was so you get a lot of sort of internal monologue kind of stuff going on and the interaction between two characters that you are very closely sort of following from the inside in addition to all of that grand space opera stuff so I thought that the the balancing of those two sides of the things made it so that I didn't mind that I had no idea what calendrical rot meant and that I <laughs> had difficulty sort of at first figuring out what what you know what's the difference between the foxes and the other animals and and all that kind of stuff. And I felt like by the end of the book, I had I sort of had the outlines of this society fairly well figured out, at least enough that I was able to navigate through the book. And I there's a good chance that I will go on to read the next one. I'm not 100 percent sure I didn't love it that much, but I really enjoyed the experience of reading this one. I feel like the um, 
what we said earlier about about uh, Everfair, uh, the inverse is true here, which is um, it's telling a really big story, but you never really stray too far from mm-hmm. the main character and the mm-hmm. let's I mean let's just call it I know it's science fiction this isn't what it is but like the ghost who haunts her because that's sort <laughs> sort of what he is he's like yeah, ge- pretty a much. general ghost mm-hmm. who's like ooh but what will we do now <laughs> and um and because they've got that dynamic and that character and you're wondering about her because she's like been exalted into this position that she doesn't deserve but people like don't really understand that she's got the general so sh- so he really does deserve it but they don't take her seriously like that is uh, a three line for the story to to drive you through with all of the complicated you know uh calendrical rot and the the different houses is another thing that there's this whole complexity mm-hmm. of like the different houses and they all have different symbols and they all have different roles in this society that we don't really understand that's also going on aline what did yeah. you think of this one i wish that i hadn't read it when i did um, <laughs> because it was such a deep investment to get into it that you know like scott said that 80 percent. so it's like the end of semester and i'm trying to do final projects and get final grades in and organize a summer camp and like all of these things that i plan a trip and launch a business and launch like i was doing a lot and i was trying to read this book that i just did not understand and i read the first chapter like six or seven times and i'm like what do eels have to do with anything are is it like literal eels what is going on what there's sparrows what are sparrows and i just like my mind was blown and i wish what i had done is that i'd put it away and read one of the books that i ended up enjoying more instead but once i got through all of that and started reading it um well actually listening to it i really did like it i'm excited to read the next one uh i just it's such a steep investment i keep thinking of it as a first chapter like a really long <laughs> first chapter and now that I'm done with it I'm like okay I have the first chapter of the series done I can move on to the rest and hopefully understand what's going on and true to my character the last bit of it has some deep dives into this kind of ghost character and I enjoyed that part very much um, so I think that kind of helped seal it for me as it was finally like oh I think I might understand what's going on with with this this character now. So that was also very good for uh, people like me. I have issues with some books like this and not with others. And this one, I didn't love it, but I liked it all the way through. Um, and yeah, but it, again, if you're one of those people who gets mad that you're out to sea, then you're going to get mad. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> yes. Don't even bother. <laughs> I have a feeling that if I reread it, cause I think I will move on, read the next one. And I think if I reread this one before I read the next one, I'll pick up on a heck of a lot more than I did the first time around. So that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I do go on to read the next one, you know, somewhere down the line, I probably will at least do a sort of a quick skimming type reread yeah. of this. And I, I think that even though I didn't read it under tough circumstances, just the I, the fact that it took me <laughs> until the end of the book to really understand what was going yeah. on, it, this would this would be one that would be very interesting to reread, knowing at the beginning what I figured out by the end. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know, you I'm reading the second book right now. I haven't finished it, so I can't recommend it or not. But it started off very well. Uh, and and I feel like all the work that you put in into the first book, it you don't have to redo all that work, right? Because you you oh. kind of understand the stuff, so the author doesn't feel the need to 
it's not as bewildering, uh, oh. and I don't want to spoil anything, but where it starts off, but I feel like it's a much more uh, uh, character-driven book uh, from the very beginning. That's reassuring. Nice. Yeah. All right. That's Nine Fox Gambit. Which was nominated for both. Nom- for yes, I, I left, I left mm-hmm. that out. It was nominated for both. Look at that. It's because of the word gambit. It is. Mm-hmm. That's a surefire That's right. sign of success. Auspice, auspicious. Yeah, Close in Common mm-hmm. Orbit was nominated for the Hugo, but not the Nebula, by the way, if I didn't mention that earlier. Let's move on to a book that was nominated for both awards and, in fact, won the Nebula Award, <gasps> which is Charlie Jane Anders' All the Birds in the Sky. Um mm-hmm. So, so this is about two characters, Patricia and Lawrence. There's a she's a she's a uh, witch. He is a computer nerd. Um, she can talk to birds. She learns how to talk to birds when she's lost in the forest. Um, he builds gadgets yes, and and stuff that bend the laws of physics. And there is the suggestion that perhaps they are fated to change the world and uh, they meet again and again and the world is coming apart and there's basically an Armageddon at the end and it's a battle between science and magic, which is really bad for our friends because they are one of them is a science person and one of them is a magic person. No. (laughs) And that is all the birds in the sky. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell? I I tried to hide my feelings for this book with my enthusiastic (laughs) recap of it, but just as a, Mm -hmm. just, just as a hint, (laughs) just as a hint, um, this is the only book of the eight we read that I can unabashedly say that I didn't like. Period. End of story. I disliked this book greatly. (laughs) I don't really understand why people like it, and I don't consider it particularly well-written. So, mm. yeah, I, I, it won the Nebula Award, so what do I know? But it didn't, it didn't yeah. work for me. I didn't like the style of it. I mean, I was reminded of Feed. Not, it's not as bad as Feed. It is not. Not, not even close as bad Put as Feed. Put that on the cover. But, but, uh, but still, the style of it really didn't work for me. Um, it felt really um, disjointed, and the characters didn't seem real to me. They seemed really tropey. And the dialogue seemed completely fake and stilted. Um, and yeah, it just, it didn't, it, it, at no point did it work for me. And I did read the whole thing. I kept hoping that there would be more. I admit that I was reading a little less carefully the last quarter of it because <laughs> I was kind of done with it. But yeah, but hey, the Nebula Awards loved it. So what did you all think? I loved the beginning. I this was one where I could not wait to pick it up again when they when the two main characters are still kids and you know it, it seems like you're gonna get a, a story about a, a you know a science geek and a witch each sort of coming into their own and learning it's almost fable like early on mm-hmm. where, the, where yes. it seems a little unreal and she has her thing with the with the bird talking to her mm-hmm. and and how and a tree and, and how they're and the described congress or whatever yeah it is. and how their relationship with the two characters is described it yeah I, yeah that that is part of it is that i did like that part too that i felt like mm-hmm. oh this is a very strange writing style and and she's trying to get across this very fable like um kind of situation mm-hmm. at the beginning yeah yeah, so I was just so on board for that part and 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 loved it. And then it does kind of a time jump to a point where they're farther on in their lives and then they're older and stuff. And and 
you know, that happens in books, but I just wasn't expecting it because I was so it was like I was curled up in this comfy blanket of this this first part of them as kids. And suddenly somebody ripped the blanket away and was like, OK, you're grown up now. And I was like, what? Um, and so there was the shock value. And then there was the fact that I just I kind of didn't care that much about their lives once they were once they were older and we were seeing sort of what they were doing kind of as adults. And I don't know if that's because of the writing or just because of these characters that I just I liked them as kids and I didn't really like them as people once they got grown yeah. up, which I guess maybe that's, yep. you know, that's the way sometimes people turn out. Um, but I will say that after not not reading super carefully, I guess, for, for a, a chunk of that, we get to the very end and I won't say what happens, but I really, really did like the way that it came together at the end. So I love the beginning. I love the very, very end, but there was a big chunk in the middle that just didn't do it for me. I'm reminded of the, there's a point where the, where the boy gets sent off by his parents to like reform school. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's, a, that's emblematic of like things I didn't like about this book is that the parents and the way their behavior is described is they're, they're, it's ludicrous. Like, I can't believe human beings would actually act that way or say those things. Mm-hmm. And his reaction is sort of also bizarre and not believable at all to me. And th- that was a moment where I really kind of fell out with the book. And I thought, you know, what am I, what am I, what am I reading here? What is this? what is happening that these all these characters are behaving in these ways that don't seem recognizable or realistic in any way and and then when they get back together as adults i'm like all right well it's you know we're going back into it but but you're right i i I didn't particularly like either of them there's some interesting characters there's some in the in the witches group there are a couple very interesting characters that i enjoyed but um but yeah you're you're right the likability is an issue aline what did you think kind of the same and a lot of Again, well, no, not even. I was going to say <laughs> later on in the adult part, you know, when they're grown, uh, there's a lot of hinges on them not communicating well. And I was going mm-hmm. to say, you know, it's just when they're adults, but it's really, it runs throughout the whole thing. And I get really frustrated by books and just storylines in general where a major or major plot points rely on people not talking to each other. Like if I'm going to read a thing with words in it, I want people to communicate with each other unless it serves some kind of purpose. And I don't like it when it its purpose is just you know, confusion and delay, you know, I'm just like, no, (laughs) like what, why, why is this actually happening? Does it serve the plot? And I feel like the only way it served the plot was miscommunications and crap happening. And I I don't enjoy that in books, but um, I will say that I was excited to read it and I continued reading it because it's one of the very few standalone books that we read. And I was really excited not to read a book in a series. That's true. That's a fair point. By the way, that's called the Sir Topham Hat rule that you cited. (laughs) It is. Yes. yes. It causes confusion and delay. Scott, what did you think? I did not like this book. I am perplexed as to how it won the Nebula Award. Yeah. Me too. Because I think any of the other four books, I didn't like Everfair, uh, but I thought it was well written. I didn't like All the Birds in the Sky. And I did not think it was well written. Yep. Uh, so that that is, you know, I would pick Everfair to win over all the birds in the sky any day of the week. Uh, I feel like I understand what uh, 
you know, uh, the the author's trying to do kind of maybe have a commentary on the tropes of science fiction and magic and mash them all together and do this postmodern yeah. thing, um, which I don't think was successful. Yeah. Uh, and the, the moment it lost me is when uh, the science kid uh, who apparently builds a tiny time machine that everybody apparently can have uh, that you could travel back in time a couple of seconds and it's just kind of Forward. a common everyday. No, you can't do has or forward, forward or whatever you have to yeah. travel in time and apparently this is just a thing people can do uh but it has had no impact on society whatsoever uh and i thought that's really dumb <laughs> <laughs> i didn't mind the implausible the implausible stuff because i mean to me it's you know at the beginning like like you said jason it's kind of fable kind of kind of fairy tale i gave her some so slack I, it, sure at the beginning absolutely yeah that kind of stuff it just it made it seem a little bit more like it really read as magical realism like that the science fiction stuff didn't it felt more fantasy than science fiction in some ways yeah i think my problem with it was the way it's portrayed as sort of being sciency and yet it's not at all sciency and it doesn't ring true at all and that when you've got when you're trying to have these kind of juxtaposed uh, characters and watching them on their paths and you've got this sort of like competently done fable story of fantasy and magic and then you've got this kind of i would say not competently portrayed story of science fictional stuff um that that's kind of a, a mishmash too so yeah i'm with scott i don't really understand the popularity of this book i know that the author is somebody who's well known and has written about science fiction for a long time and that the people who vote presumably in the nebula awards know fairly well um maybe the visibility helps but as a book i just fundamentally i don't get it i if other people like it that's great but i don't i don't see the appeal um and and that's not just the subject matter but the actual like writing the the quality of the writing i don't get it so it's the it's the that's that's my last place book that was the one i liked the least out of the eight easily mm -hmm. like not even close Okay, but what else other than that? How did you like the the play, Mrs. Lincoln? Um, <laughs> it's nice to have one to just let it all out. Okay, let's move on to a book that we already the four of us all talked about already on a podcast on this very podcast, which is a book by N.K. Jemison, The Obelisk mm -hmm. Gate, the second mm -hmm. book in the Broken Earth series, uh, the sequel uh, to the fifth season, uh, which. Well, the third book in that series is coming out later this summer. We did a whole episode about N.K. Jemisin because, uh, you know what, she's uh, she's really great. And this did get nominated for both awards as well. Just like All the Birds in the Sky, it's up for it's up for the Hugo and it, and it was was up for the Nebula. Um, what what more to say about um, Obelisk Gate? My short version is you should read the fifth season and then you will want to read the Obelisk Gate because <laughs> mm -hmm. fifth season is great. The Ob Obelisk Gate is a continuation. It is also great. I can't wait for the third book to come out. I don't know if I have anything bad to say about these books. Um, N.K. Jemison's really good. Mm -hmm. Listen to yeah. our podcast about her. What else? Anything <laughs> yeah. more to say? I, I, I would say that just in, in terms of doing my Hugo reading, I always struggle a little bit with uh, with books that are like sequels, especially middle books, yeah. as in like where to place them, because how much am I sort of being swayed or tainted by the earlier book that was setting it up? So um, that makes it sort of difficult just placing it. But I do agree with everything you said. It is a great book. She's a great writer. Yep. I agree. Agreed. All right. <laughs> Woo. High fives all around. The motion guys. is carried. 
<laughs> Let's move on to new business. Um, <laughs> did you know the book club follows Robert's rules of order? It turns out I didn't know either, but there it was. It just happened. There um, was. Next book, seven, seventh of our eight books, uh, Borderline by Michelle Baker. Mm. This is a book that um, I'm going to say the the way it is described in the marketing material by the publisher is it turned me off. I delayed reading this for a while um, because the the kind of book it was describing is not a book I felt like I wanted to read. So let me give you my description of what this book is. This book <laughs> is fairy noir. It is a it is a noir story in a way about a damaged person who's basically given a job and the job involves finding a missing person. So she's kind of like a noir detective, except the missing person is a fairy because it turns out that in Hollywood, again, a very noir kind of setting in Hollywood, much of the creative thing that happens in Hollywood, actors, writers, directors are actually fairies who cross over to earth and are paired with humans and that creates this amazing burst of creativity so there's a complexity of like how the human world works how the fairy world works you've got this character who is incredibly damaged um she uh tried to kill herself and failed but uh lost her legs so she's got two different prostheses that she uses most of the time and they're really uncomfortable most of the time um and she's working for this weird organization she doesn't entirely understand. There's a house she's supposed to live in with people she's just met who are not particularly nice to her, some of them, and are all damaged in their own ways. Um, and through this, our our hero has to figure out to how to solve this mystery of where this person is and the threats that come up along the way uh, internally and externally. And it's fantastic. It is a fantastic book, and I'm so happy that I read it. It was really my, this is the book, every year we do this, and there's one book that I, I come out and I start, at least one, that I come out and I say, oh, what, somebody says, oh, you, I know you read a lot of uh, stuff, what should I read? And, I, and I'll say, oh, oh, you should read Helene Wecker's book, right? Or, or <laughs> there, there's, always, there's always some book that, that comes out, or you should read The Goblin Emperor, or you, you should read Uprooted. Mm -hmm. And this year, it's Borderline. You should read Borderline. I, I think it's so good. I totally agree. This was another one that I I just drank. Like, and I think it's an important book too. Beyond it being fairy noir or urban fantasy or you know whatever that label is, which isn't typically. I think this is maybe the first of that kind of genre that I've ever read. Um, but it also does things like talk about mental illness. It talks about suicide and consequences yeah. of suicide. It talks about. Um, living with prosthetics it and and none of it is done in a pitying way it is all handled matter of factly like this is what happened i was going to say it's also not done in a way that makes you think even even if you're like i think we all are very supportive of like books need to be more illustrative of various people in the world who have all sorts of different things going on with them and different issues and it's not just about about race and gender but it's also about disability and and mental illness and all these other things mm -hmm. but by putting it in this real noir-ish kind of context um it's just it, this is this is what her baggage is like all the noir detectives are messed up somehow and in her baggage is she's a borderline personality disorder and she's got two prosthetics and 
and these are parts of her memory problems. and she's got memory problems and these are all part of what's going on borderline a very clever title by the way because it refers to her borderline personality disorder as well as the connection between the earth and the fairy realm um in various places it's a great like great title but uh but yeah like the fact that it's all worked together it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like it's trying too hard it's all it all feels really natural the fact that the, that this character has all of these issues that she's dealing with yeah. And it it's just, I don't know. I just, I really, really loved it. I respect it. And I can't wait to read the next one. I just, it was wonderful. I don't want to read, if you sell me a book that's about fairies in Hollywood, like, yeah, did you know that the fairy realm has crossed over and created many movies in Hollywood? I'd be like, whatever, this is not a book for me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is why I keep saying, I keep playing up the noir part of it because it is like, it is urban fantasy. It is, but it's got, it's got the grittiness. It's got this personal struggle of the character. They're like, there's just, there's a whole lot here. Don't let the fact, if you're somebody who doesn't read books that have, that have stories that are fairy tales, ah, that are the stories about, about <laughs> things like, uh, like the fairy realm and all that, don't worry about it like can they, they might as well be aliens they're extra dimensional beings that they've decided are kind of we're gonna call them fairies but they're are they really who knows who cares <laughs> erica what do you think <laughs> um i i completely agree with everything you guys said however if you said you know fairies are responsible for what's going on in hollywood i would snap that book up really fast so <laughs> this explains everything <laughs> that's my kind of book um but i also love noir and urban fantasy and i've read a lot of of urban fantasy uh, and i thought that this was just a, another really good example of that genre but as you said it piles on all of these extra things that just give it so much more reality which is a weird word to use for <laughs> urban fantasy um and and just personal flavor i completely agree with you aline that this is it's an important book i think just in the first chapter i felt like i learned more about what it's like to be a person living with prosthetics than i have from you know any documentary that i've seen or news story yeah. or anything like that and i had known nothing about borderline personality disorder except that that was the name of a, a disorder and now i feel like i have a much better better understanding of it and and how it manifests and kind of like what it looks like from the inside to to some extent and i will uh, you know owning biases in addition to loving um hollywood and fairy books uh michelle baker was actually one of the slush readers for uncanny magazine which i work for but i will point out that i didn't realize that until after i finished the book <laughs> and i and i really 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 loved the book so it wasn't it wasn't the bias it was just a happy coincidence um so i was i was totally pleased with this book it played into a lot of the things that i i love very much and i've as i said i've read a lot of urban fantasy i've also read a lot of books of you know fairies crossing over into the real world and that is that is another genre that's kind of my sweet spot. And I think that this is an excellent, excellent example of that. So if if you're the kind of person who's put off by that, like Jason said, sure, give it a try anyway. If you're the kind of person who likes that sort of thing, this is a top notch version thereof. <laughs> we got a book for mm -hmm. you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Scott? I do not like urban fantasy in general. Uh, I have not. I have read a few of them and I do not enjoy them as a rule, because I think they are uh, uh, not for me. <laughs> Let's just say not sure. for me. Uh, and so I would have never read this book in a million years if left to my own vices, uh, because this is, I would have read the, you know, I would have seen it. I would have looked at the back of the book or whatever and read the thing and been like, well, okay, uh, maybe I'll uh, spend my time doing something else. 
However, this is why I like reading uh, all these books, uh, the Nebula and Hugo Awards, uh, because it forces me to read books that I wouldn't read. So I wasn't uh, super excited to read this book, but I'm super glad that I did because, as everyone has already said, it is fantastic. Uh, I think I read this in probably like four hours. I read it on a plane. I just read the whole thing on a plane. Yeah, I I <laughs> just did not want to stop reading yep. it uh, because, you know, when you get in that kind of groove with a book where you're just kind of totally absorbed and the characters don't feel like characters, you just feel like you're like looking uh, into like a window into real people doing stuff, uh, even though some of them were fairies. <laughs> uh, it was <laughs> uh, just it just worked and it it. I bought the second one uh, as soon as I found out it was available. Uh, I haven't read it, but I will, uh, and uh, it's just completely surprising. So this is one of those happy uh, books that, you know, I I didn't think I would like at all, uh, and turns out it's fantastic. And this was a Nebula nominee, not a Hugo nominee, but a Nebula nominee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good book. (laughs) Borderline. Check it out. Number, number, yes, it didn't didn't make it. All the Birds in the Sky won instead. I don't understand people. I don't get it. Um, the last book is Ada Palmer's To Like the Lightning, which mm. is, um, how shall I describe this book? It's very much like what we said about Nine Fox Gambit. It is a book that mm-hmm. is incredibly complex. Uh, it is a future world. It is trying in a great tradition of science fiction of depicting a future where the society is very different from now. The technology is different from now. There are lots of terms that we don't understand. It's written in a style that is very Voltaire-like. It's got lots of asides and a lot of talking directly to the to the reader, and the reader talks back, which is very strange. Um <laughs> It's got uh, so lots of commentary going. It, it is a story that is at its heart actually kind of a mystery story, um, th- but it takes a long time for you to figure out that that's what it is. Um, there are lots of power players. We are in the top strata of this 25th century society, the the rulers of all these different clans. Again, there are these clans very much like in Nine Fox Gambit, and they all have their own laws and their own rules. Uh, the power of like... Uh, geographic states has waned to almost nothing, but they're, they're instead you sort of join up with one of these clans and live in these in these uh, hives, and it, it's it's very complicated. Um, like like I said, like Nine Fox Gambit. The difference is that Nine Fox Gambit, I had enough to hold on to that I was able to get carried through it to the end, and to like the lightning. Um, which is the one that I have not finished. I've read about half of it so far. I'd say that at 50%, I feel like I've actually got an idea of what's going on um, and I will probably finish it. But it was the hardest uh, of all the books for me to get through. And I, I'm not I'm not 100% sure I will, will do it. So I would say I'm not liking it like I liked Nine Fox Gambit, but I feel like it's a very similar kind of book. Scott, I imagine this is catnip to you. Uh, yes, it is, because it layers a couple of things that I find intriguing. So it layers the the whole, like, I have no idea what's going on, uh, add on top of that an archaic format uh, that is very kind of purposefully artificial, and then you add on kind of an, unrela- an unreliable narrator, uh, plus a reader who he's addressing, who you assume is you until the reader talks back and then you think well i guess i'm not the reader (laughs) that'll be interesting and then you're like well who am i yeah 
who am I in this? What is going Existential on? Existential crisis. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, a, it's uh, incredibly smart. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that, and this is not a spoiler because it happens in like the first chapter, there is a there is a kid in this in this detailed science fiction world that we are learning about of the 25th century there is a kid who can just make his wishes come true and he makes a bunch of uh, like yeah. plastic army men turn into actual soldier little tiny soldiers who have opinions and wisdom and knowledge and, and a, memories and remember their lives before mm-hmm. and that's so that's a whole other layer here which is like what what is that what is what what so what is going on so it starts out, and like you said, Jason, it, it does sort of become a, a mystery story. But the thing that drew me in at the beginning, even though I was incredibly put off by the language and the archaic format and and that sort of thing, was the fact that you've got this kid who has these godlike powers. And the narrator, I think even before you, you meet them, th- that kid, the narrator is talking about how this is a story that he is writing down because... This, these events are what led to the world changing into whatever it is yes. at the time that he's writing from as opposed mm-hmm. to before. So I kind of had this like, oh, that's interesting. I, I want mm-hmm. to know why the world changes. I want to know how the world changes because I still don't understand, you know, this world at the beginning. And I got through it and I tried to quit this book at least twice. <laughs> I set it down <laughs> and was not terribly interested in going back to it. Not only was I not interested in going back to it, but when it had been like a day since I had read it, I would I would think to myself, what what's that book about? What was I reading? I honestly couldn't remember. <laughs> Um, and I, I found myself kind of getting mad at how just uh, difficult it was to read. So it was not at all the same experience as Nine Fox Gambit for me. And then I just I sort of kept coming back to that initial mystery. Like, why is this the way the world changes? What is the change that's going to happen? What's going to happen? And I didn't care so much about the mystery that was unfolding. I didn't care that much about most of the characters. It was like, I was just like racing through it to get to the end because I wanted to find out how the world changed. And I don't know how spoilery I should get about the end. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. Other than, well, I mean, we can say mm-hmm. it, our suspicion is mm-hmm. that this was maybe one book that the publisher split into yes. two. Because I got to the end and and I didn't throw it across the room because it's my Kindle and I love my Kindle. But I was <laughs> genuinely pissed at this book. because so I was like, I, I made myself finish it. Like I was so proud of myself for getting to the end. And then I didn't even get to find the answer to the specific thing that I was that I was looking for in the uh. way that I was looking for it. So like you find out some things and it was mm-hmm. a fine, you know, I, I guess it was no okay place to end it as as far as things go. But I, I, I am highly suspicious that that is that is the case. And I, I don't think I'm see the thing is like I want somebody to write the Cliff's Notes version of the next one so I don't have to read it, but I can find out what happens. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. There's probably somewhere where you can get that on the internet. Yeah, it's uh, mm-hmm. Joe Walton wrote a review of it and said that she had read it in manuscript form um, and then had read the final version. And, and what she said was something like, I read the manuscript, and I read it in its sequel in manuscript form. And I thought, um, that's really weird, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then I started to wonder when you told me that. It's like, this sounds to me like this was a giant novel that they split into and pieces. Giant, and because uh, even uh, this part... 430 pages... Long. To like the lightning is 430 pages long and it's not the whole story. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's such a bizarre book. It really is. Yes. And in a weird way, it reminds me of 
these books almost have nothing in common except for the kind of the central character is not very likable and kind of a, a sociopath. Uh, the Star is My Destination uh, by Alfred Bester, which is a 1957 book. It's a crazy book, uh, but it has also a central character who is horrible. Um, so if you don't like horrible mm. characters, maybe don't read it. The, uh, there's a, a funny moment where the reader... Uh, complains to the narrator because the narrator refers to the kid who can make people, you know, make inanimate objects come to life as the protagonist of the book. And the reader immediately complains that he can't be the protagonist because <laughs> we know almost nothing about him and that you, narrator, must be the protagonist. And the narrator uh, is like, no, 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 it's not me. I'm not that important. Um, and, and it's actually a, a really nice passage because what it ends, and I think this is is uh, related to the title too, like The Lightning, um, says... I am the window. He is the lightning you see through the window. So it, this is a story about the lightning and not about the window. I don't mm. think I believe the narrator, Weep. but <laughs> talk about unreliable. It's a weird book. Um, but again, if you are somebody who doesn't like being kind of at sea, trying to figure out something that's incredibly weird and, and complicated um, and alien, um, you will have a hard time with to like the lightning. It is, I, I, my my short review of it would probably be I really appreciate the work that goes into it, it is incredibly ambitious. I'm not sure I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. that's that's exactly how I feel about it. And also, you you reminded me about about how religion is is actually a, a big part of this book as well. I mean, it takes on a lot. And and I, if you listen yes. to our discussion of, of the Sparrow before, like <laughs> books that deal with religion are absolutely not my thing. So that wasn't that was another reason I kept trying to put this book yeah, down. It, it it reads to me like. Um, uh, I'm going to be, this is, and I, this is a compliment of a sort, which is, this is the kind of book that I would, I feel like would get assigned as being, this is an important mm-hmm. bo- work that is very serious and has a lot of, a lot of literary aspirations and covers a lot of, of, of really meaningful ground. And we're going to write a lot of great papers based on reading this book. And, but it, it felt, it, it felt like that. It felt like a sign like, like a book that everybody, a book that everybody told you is really impressive. So you should read it, but you don't actually enjoy reading. That's, that's too like the lightning to me. Didn't haven't, haven't really enjoyed it. Uh, getting better as I get, again, I haven't read the whole thing yet, but I feel like I've got its number now. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> it's number 16. You? <laughs> no, it was number eight. It was number eight in our list. That's where it was. To Like the Lightning by Ada Palmer. Okay. It has come time now for me to ask my dear panelists to do the hard job of ranking these books that they read from best loved to least loved. And I'll give you my list first just to get it started. Um, the one from, from most liked to least liked. I liked The Obelisk Gate the best. Borderline a Closed in Common Orbit, Death's End, Nine Fox Gambit, Two Like the Lightning, gets extra points for being ambitious, Everfair, which I actually finished, but I, I, I prefer Two Like the Lightning, quite frankly, and All the Birds in the Sky is my, uh, is my lowest, uh, lowest score there. Um, Scott, how would you, what order would you put these guys in? Uh, well, this was this is tough. So the 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 first one is uh, I think far ahead in my estimation, and the second one to possibly the the top three I think are solid. Okay. Uh, then the four to seven I feel like are uh, almost tied, and the last one is like way way 
behind everybody else. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Nine Fox Gambit, I think, is is my favorite. Uh, then Death's End, The Obelisk Gate, uh, and then this is where I think everybody else is kind of equal. Two like light, two like the lightning, a closed and common orbit, and borderline and Everfair because I feel like I didn't really like Everfair as a book, but I thought it was really well done, uh, and I appreciated what she was trying to do. Um, and then maybe a couple slots, uh, and then all the birds <laughs> in the sky. <laughs> Wild cards. Uh, Erica, what about you? Uh, well, my top two, I have like groupings. My top two were really yeah, close. Yeah, I groupings. I think a closed in common orbit edged out borderline, but just by a tiny bit, because I really love them both. And then Obelisk Gate belongs up there as well, but it's got that middle book thing, um, which is, I think, the only reason why it's it's a little bit lower. Then Nine Fox Gambit and All the Birds in the Sky, but I, I think, especially after kind of thinking about it and talking about it, Nine Fox Gambit it edges out All the Birds in the Sky. And then at the bottom, you have these three that I'm not sure what to do with. I mean, I finished Two Like the Lightning, so I guess technically it comes in before... Death's End and Everfair, but... <laughs> well, I mean, Death's End, you didn't even bother because you didn't read the right. other book, so you could almost omit that. Yeah, right? and then Everfair, I stopped because I genuinely didn't like it. So, I mean, I feel... I, I don't like putting Death's End so low because it sounds like it was actually a really good book, but I'm okay putting Everfair beneath Two Like the Lightning because at All least right. I... At least Two Like the Lightning had had something in it to draw me in enough to get me to finish it, even if I was annoyed Solid. at the end. Okay, Aline... <laughs> Of the books you read, how how would you rank them? All right, so I have I have the six that I've completed, and they're they're very firmly like top half, bottom half, and it, ordering within those is it's very hard. hard. It is. Jason is mean. I'm a mean, mean person. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna have to go with a closed and common orbit as my top. Uh, it, it was just I wanted mm-hmm. so much more of that. Um, followed by the obelisk gate. It does suffer a little bit from, from middle book syndrome, like we've talked about, uh, but NK Jemison is such yeah. a good writer and it's just poetic and, and beautiful. And I have to, but borderline is also really good. I'm putting that in at three just because like Nora Jemison gets the, the favorite author, uh, you know, like head nod yeah, there. The bonus. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, nine Fox gamut, I feel like is a pretty solid number four. Um, I guess then Everfair and then all the birds in the sky. All right. Well, it sounds to me like we have a little bit of a consensus around, uh, the obelisk gate, which, uh, which all of us liked a mm-hmm. lot. Yes, it is the second book in a series. So take that for what it's worth. But we didn't have a lot of disagreements here. There are books that Scott likes better and, and books that, that, uh, the rest of us like better than Scott. <laughs> Isn't that always the way? But you know, Scott I, is the outlier. There's a, there's a lot of good things. I think the point the point about a series is absolutely true. That if you look at this, Obelisk Gate is the second book. You really can't have not read the first book. Mm-hmm. Death's End. You've got to have read the first two. Nine Fox Gambit's a first book in a series and doesn't have an ending. Borderline is the first book in a series, but does have an ending, which is good. Close and Common Orbit is the second book in a series, but you don't really need to have read the first Mm-mm. book. Two Like the Lightning is the first book in a it's series. It's the first book in a book. In a book, yeah, first part of a book. <laughs> so th- that's an issue. Um, that's an issue with some of these. These, but uh, most of them you can read, with the exception of Obelisk Gate and Death's End. I think you could read the rest of them mm-hmm. fresh if you wanted to. Yep. Yes. Yeah. I agree. 
Yeah, and I, I, I will say this then as we wrap this up. Eight books, I am very happy that there was only one that I really didn't like. And I feel like I I ended up with four that I liked an awful lot. And I consider myself lucky that um, that I, I feel like it was a good batting average. Mm-hmm. I felt like committing to read eight books that, that other people have selected for you, I was a little concerned about um, how that would work and how I would be you know, committing to reading eight, eight, eight books for me is a, is a, you know, this has been my first three months of this year, basically reading these books mm-hmm. and no other books. So, um, <laughs> I'm pretty happy because I found books that I really liked and some of them I will, they have successor books that I will also read. Mm-hmm. So I've been pretty happy. How did everybody else feel about, uh, about going through this, this, this process, Erica? I loved it. I, I agree. This was this was really solid. And I've also been reading um, for the Hugos. That I've, I'm almost all the way through the novellas. And I feel like just this year all around so far has been really solid because of the six novellas that are up for the Hugos, three of them I loved. And one of them I thought was okay. And there are two of them I thought were okay. And the other one I'm not finished with yet. So I just, I feel like I... A lot of these things, like Scott said, I might not have gone out and read on my own. And because we did this, I found some stuff that I just fell head over heels in love with. So it was great. Nice. Aline, how did this experience work for you? I love reading books. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be here otherwise. So, I mean, any any excuse I have to have someone kind of take the thought process out of it is kind of nice. Um, just like, you know, I, I feel like it's kind of consensus. We all enjoy being handed a a list of titles and go off and and read this. So I'm always pleased. And, you know, I I don't feel obligated to finish any books if I really hate them. So that's always Mm -hmm. nice, too. And Scott, you read a lot of books, but you you mentioned it earlier, you read some books you wouldn't have otherwise read and like them. So I guess this experience worked pretty well. Yeah, I mean, I think it was I read uh, many books that I wouldn't have read, probably. uh, And I like the kind of echoing both what uh, what what was already said that uh, the fact that I feel like when I'm reading I read a lot of books but I get into kind of ruts and I read the same kinds of books that I'm attracted to uh, and so it's nice to get someone else to say hey read these books that you would have never picked uh, and I'm like well I don't really want to but alright uh, and I read them and I'm like oh this is great and then it gets me into a different rut because then I try to read other books that are like those books and then uh, I wait until the next year when the awards come out and I read more books that other people have uh, assigned to me. Uh, Congratulations so on your new rut Scott. Thank you yeah. it's slightly different than my old rut so. Nice. That's good that's good it's good. I like ruts. It's good I have found I have read uh, in in all the years of of doing this podcast and reading various award nominees, that yeah, I've been exposed to genres that I would not have read before and authors, and that and it has been good, and it has changed the universe of books from which I choose to read novels now, and that's awesome. And I still like the books that I always liked, but now there are some other categories. I've read a lot more fantasy than I ever really read in my life. And I wouldn't say that I love all fantasy novels now, but I've read a lot more of them and I found ones that I really love and that's great. And urban fantasy is a similar kind of story. So yeah, it's a good experience. This was, this was a lot of books. This is a lot of books, but there are a lot of good books. So it's, 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 it's okay. So, um, to, I, I total the scores up. Um, I would say that the three books that that ranked the highest across all four of us were The Obelisk Gate, A Closed and Common Orbit, and Borderline. And I will say for the two people 
who read Death's End, <laughs> we both <laughs> we both ranked it very high. So among those who read yes. book three in that totally wacky <laughs> bananas cuckoo pants series, uh, if you get there, just keep on going because it just gets wackier and that's right and uh, in a good way. All right. I hope that this podcast, dear listener, has given you ideas of what you might want to read next based on our reactions. You don't have to read all eight. You can just read some of them. That's fine. Who would be so, so misguided as to read all eight of them? Only, only, only one us. of us. Not me. Only, only Scott. And me. I'm at 94%. Man. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. 94% is not 100, no, Jason. You're right. You win, Scott. Once again, mm. Scott McNulty, you win book club. Congratulations. Yep. Your, your prize? What do you win? A brand new Do't rut. More books. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all win? Everybody wins in the book club. Mm. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody, for being a part of uh, the book club. Thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will be back next week with more, but not more books, probably, <laughs> right away. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>